I love that song, don't you? That is a great song. If that doesn't help you get in the right mindset to hear the Word of God, I don't know what will. And uh, this morning, we're grateful to have you here. We're grateful to be able to worship together, and we're going to continue our, our series on, on relationships, soul to soul. And uh, we've been really exploring some different relationships in, in the Scriptures, and Hopefully, you've been able to really glean some things. Like, how can I embody some of those principles and qualities in my own relationships? You're, really, that's the reason why we're doing this series. It's not so that we can stand back and go, wow, they really had a great relationship, or they did some great things. It's, no, how can, how can I incorporate that in my existing relationship so hopefully you're able to experience that as we, as we go through these different, uh, different sets of relationships. And this morning, uh, we're going we're gonna to look at a few relationships, but they really center uh, around two principal kind of folks in the Scripture. And uh, we're going to kind of look at what the Scripture says about them individually and really kind of the relationship they had, but really the ripple effect of, of this relationship that we're going to look at today and the power uh, that that really when we follow God's spirit, when we stay in step with his spirit, when we live out his principles, when we are striving to preach a resurrected Christ, God can do amazing things among us. And it's always so helpful to leave the craziness of our lives, the absolute ridiculous busyness of our lives, the absolute crazy narratives that people are spinning around us to try to get us to believe that that is the most important thing going on, when in fact it's not. It's so good to come to the house of God, to sing to God, to sing about God, and to hear how to live for God. And I hope that is what you are ready to do this morning. Amen? Amen. Let's go to God in prayer. And let's uh, and jump into the scriptures. Let's pray. Father, I am grateful to, to be here with, with people that really are striving to, to get deeper with you, Father. We want you to hear our prayers. And we want you to know that we do see your power in everything, Father. And, and we love you. And we want to reflect your image in this world. That, that is our deep desire. Father, we want our relationship with you to be powerful, to, to really empower us to love other people, people that are unlike ourselves, people that don't share our beliefs perhaps. And Father, but help us to, to love this world the way you have shown us to love. I pray that we can grow in our relationships, that we can get stronger in relationship building and maintaining our relationships And Father, I pray this morning that your spirit is powerful among us, and I do pray that we can be inspired about what you are doing here at this particular congregation, Father, as you are raising up men to serve as elders here. And we are grateful to be here this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Soul to soul. So who are we going to talk about today? Well, we're going to talk about Barnabas and Paul today. The highs and lows of relationship building in a rapidly growing church. Does that sound familiar to you? (laughs) I believe that we can learn a lot from the relationship of Barnabas and Paul. I believe we can learn a lot from them individually. Uh, Obviously, I don't have uh, hours and hours of time, you know, to to, to really go over it. But hey, I'm going to give it my best shot. Amen? Amen. 
But let's, let's look at in, in Acts chapter 4 because this is where we see Barnabas for the first time. And I think it's helpful to just get a little bit of the context where we kind of meet this, this person Barnabas. And, and as if you're not familiar with the scriptures, really Acts is kind of the, the, the book of the Bible where you get to see how the church began and how it grew and how dynamic it was. And so Acts is a really, really ins- inspirational book of the Bible. If you're unfamiliar with the scriptures, I encourage you maybe to read it on your own. Uh, but we're going to pick it up in, in chapter 4 after the church ha- has already begun and, and 3,000 people are, are, are baptized in one day and they're, they're living together and incredible things are happening. And uh, we pick it up in, in, in chapter 4 beginning in verse 32. And it says, now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field that he owned and he brought the money and he put it at the apostles' feet. This is the context where we first are introduced to Barnabas, whose name originally, again, as we see, was Joseph. But the apostles kind of gave him the nickname son of encouragement. And in some translations, son of consolation. You know, he was a good consoler or an advocate, which that word can maybe also have connotations of. So an encourager, a consoler, an advocate. Do you get a good picture of who Barnabas is? But look at what he did. I mean, he sold what he had and he, and he gave the, the, the proceeds uh, to the apostles. Now, when we read this, we might go, wow, that's crazy. I mean, wow. Wow. That takes a lot of faith. Uh, wow. Uh, wow. <laughs> Maybe he only made a couple dollars? Uh, no, I don't think so, right? This is a challenging moment for some of us, right? But wow, what does this say in the moment of the church here? What, what, can, you, what can you glean from this? From the, from the relationships I believe Joseph was forming, but I believe he had a deep trust in what God was doing. I believe he had faith in what God was doing with these individuals, bringing them together to, to form the church. And he was so inspired, I believe, what God was doing that he wanted to contribute. He happened to have some financial means, and he wanted to contribute. But look at the faith that he took to take the proceeds and to literally put it at the apostles' feet. That, that is really an, an, an open declaration. I trust God, and therefore I'm going to trust this leadership publicly, right? Well, Jeff, that's easy for you to say because you're a church leader. You just want us all to sell you... No, I want you to read the Bible. That's honestly what I'm doing. Seriously, at the end of the day, if it's in there, it's in there. If it's not, it's not. But, but it's in there, okay? And so to me, this, this is not about the leaders. It's about a man who trusts God so much that he trusts what these apostles would do with the money. And look what happened. People's needs were met. There were no needy people among them. 
Now, you say, were these, were these apostles, like, were they a part of Lehman Brothers? Or was it like, were they, you know, what, what was the deal? Did they have financial advisor training? Uh, is that where they came from, all these apostles? No. These guys are fishermen, random guys, right, on some respects. They're not professional distributors of funds to people. But they still, Barnabas still trusted that God was at work among these men. And God used the faith of a guy like Barnabas. And look what it did for the church. People saw, wow, he's willing to have that type of faith. Well, so am I. And other people join in. And God met all the needs. Wow, what a powerful moment as we see the, the, the character of a guy like Barnabas. And I hope that we can be inspired by his example. The next time we see Barnabas, a lot has, a lot has happened. Okay, now we're, we're going to move to Acts chapter 9. Well, what has happened? Well, one of the main things that has happened is the church is being heavily persecuted. And one of the main guys persecuting the church is a man named Saul, very learned man in the scriptures, staunch supporter of, of, the, of the, the Jewish faith. And he felt that Christianity at this time, the Christian church, was, was really terrible. They were blaspheming God and, and Saul would take, took it upon himself to root out this terrible insurrectionist movement uh, that needs to be wiped off the face of the earth. And he was a type A guy and he was serious about what he did. And if you read the very first part of Acts 9, he was spewing out murderous threats against the church. He was asking for permission to put these people away because following this Jesus was wrong. That was where Saul was. This dude was intense. But Acts chapter 9 shows us a miracle, really. You know, I think Jesus noticed, I believe, Saul's deep intentions, and Jesus had a little meeting with, with Saul, uh, blinded him and uh, humbled him and, and really gave him a new mission for his life. Stop trying to destroy my church, Saul. I'm going to call you to, to my side, and you're going to help me build this church you're trying to destroy. And Saul, like, whoa, that is not what I had in mind for my life, but he, he was humble enough to think about it and to pray and to fast and, and to allow that vision from Jesus to transform his life. And so he makes a complete 180. He, he repents. He turns from his life and he turns to God and he literally goes from abusing the church to building the church. And he immediately begins to preach and he is preaching powerfully. I mean, he's preaching so powerfully, he's getting persecuted. They got to run him out of town. He's got to get out of town. It's crazy. And so now Saul's like, well, let me go meet the apostles. Let me go be a part of the church. You know, my brothers and sisters, right? Well, a little problem happened on the way to Jerusalem. So in Acts chapter 9, verse 26, when he, when he saw, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And Barnabas told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. So what's going on here? Well, if you were, if you were Saul, I mean, wouldn't you be a little discouraged? I mean, here's Saul. I mean, man, I, I, Jesus told me what to do. I, I repented. I've been preaching the word. You're supposed to be the church of love and all this stuff. Jesus, you're supposed to be following his teachings. Jesus said you need to love all people. 
right? Don't just love the people that love you back. Even pagans do that. They need to be loving to me. Why aren't they accepting me? He could have gone down that road really easily, right? But to think about the church, right? What if you're a church leader in Jerusalem? Hey, man, Saul's over there wanting to come hang out at your next Bible discussion. <laughs> what? Saul? Do you know who you're talking about? That guy's trying to murder us. He's trying to get rid of us. No, we cannot be leaders who are weak against things like this. We need to take a stand. We got to protect this flock. We can't let a guy like Saul, what if he's a spy? What if this is a ruse? What if he's trying to infiltrate our ranks, get all up in us, and teach wrong doctrine, and take everyone away? We can't just let Saul walk up in the front door and not, no, 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 no. I mean, I guess you could understand that point of view, right? So what are we going to do? What needs to happen? Because everyone's going to defend their point of view probably at the end of the day. We're really good at that, by the way. We're good at thinking we're right and other people are wrong. But what if both sides are kind of understandable at the very least? So what does it take? I think it takes a guy like Barnabas. Paul, Saul right now, he's not initiating. He's not like forcing himself upon the apostles. The apostles aren't writing him invitations. Hey, bro, come on in. Come hang out with us. So that's not happening. So what? Barnabas is the one that takes the initiative. He takes the initiative. He overcomes whatever, whatever feelings he may have had about Saul. He didn't, he didn't care. You know what he did? He had faith in God first. And I believe that, I believe, fueled his willingness to take the initiative to help the situation out. And look what happens. I mean, he, take, I mean, he takes Saul. Peter, guys, James, John, look. This is our brother. This, this is him. This is, this is our brother. And I'm sure that was a tense moment. But and notice Paul, does, he doesn't talk for himself. <laughs> Barnabas is the one that explains what, what happened. And look what happens. People start coming together. What, what, do I, what, what do I think can happen right now? Some of you are sometimes like, you know, maybe the apostles, right? You've got feelings that you're, you're thinking about somebody else. And you, 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 maybe you're looking at their past actions and you just can't get beyond it. And maybe some of you, right, are like a Saul. You know, made, made some, hey, you were doing what you thought was right, but now you've tried to change and you've turned around and you feel like people aren't seeing that you've changed. Maybe you're on that side. And you don't know what to do. You're not initiating and the situation is stagnant. I believe those situations can be happening right now among Bible-believing people right now that you're listening to me right now. Some of you are on either side. Some of you are, should be inspired by a Barnabas. I hope. Some of you are the, have the type of character that you need to be the one to take the initiative when you see these types of at-odds situations. You need to be the one that says, you know, I can understand both sides, but I'm gonna step in. And I'm going to pray and I'm going to get advice and all that good stuff, but I'm not just going to let this situation be stagnant. I want to take the initiative like a Barnabas. And maybe you can help bring some situations together. And I believe we need mature brothers and sisters who take on that role of a Barnabas to help people get connected so we can have soul-to-soul -soul relationships this is what it takes. Sometimes it takes somebody from the outside kind of come in to mend some broken fences, right? So let's be inspired by that example from Scripture. 
Because some of you have set up camps against others, and that's not good. So some of you need to be Barnabas and take the initiative. Amen? It gets a little more encouraging now. Are you ready for some encouragement? So even though there was a lot of persecution, and unfortunately, it was so bad that one of the brothers was actually publicly murdered, really, for his faith. Stephen, he stood up for his faith, and he, he was actually murdered as a blasphemer against, against the faith, even though he was standing up for his convictions. And that, that murder, that publicly murdered, I mean, it, it, the church was scared. It was kind of crazy. Imagine if that were to happen here. And some of the brothers and sisters kind of, they scatter. They, it's, a little, it's a little hot in Jerusalem, and we need to maybe go other places. And so they started to scatter. And uh, so we'll pick it up here where we're going to see Barnabas again. In, in chapter 11, verse 19, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. But some of them, however, men from Cyprus, which is where Barnabas is from, if you remember, and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. What an interesting choice. Wow, huh? I don't think, I don't think that was a mystery. I mean, look what's happening. Cultural bounds are being, you know, cultural barriers being crossed. New types of people learning about the, the scriptures and responding to Jesus. The church in Jerusalem hears about it. Man, who should we send over there? Well, let's send a guy that's a great relationship builder. Let's send a guy that can get into any kind of situation and bring the love of God and bring scriptural principles to bear on those situations. Let's send a guy like Barnabas. I mean, it makes perfect sense to send a guy like Barnabas to a place that's Wow, trying to figure out, wow, we got Greeks now responding to Jesus? Whoa, whoa we're not used to that. How are we going to build, a, how are we going to have soul-to-soul relationships with pagans? <laughs> we're a Jewish faith. We come from Judaism, you know. How do we deal with these people that don't even follow God? How do we build these bridges? Let's send Barnabas. I bet you Barnabas can figure that thing out, Right? And when Barnabas arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. You say amen to that, right? But then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for who? Saul. My old buddy Saul. Now why would Barnabas do something like that? I mean, Barnabas is doing just fine on his own. Barnabas is doing fine. The church is doing great. It is growing. Why mess it up and bring this hothead guy? Who knows? He's, he's pro-Jewish and oh my goodness, I don't know. He might be a little too heavy. No. Look at Barnabas. Barnabas, it's inconvenient even. He has to go, he has to leave and he has to go search. It's not like he could just send him a text. Hey, bro, where you at? Oh, I'll meet you at Starbucks. Yeah, okay, cool. That's not what, he had to go to Tarzan. Where's, he had to look around, finally finds him. Why would he do that? I believe this is the heart of somebody I believe is a, is a relationship type person, a bridge builder, a soul to soul type guy. Saul, you are a great teacher of God's word. 
You know the word of God better than anybody I know. This young church, they need to be grounded in God's word. And brother, you can teach it. Yeah, man, but are they going to accept me, Barnabas? I mean, am I going to have to go through that whole thing again? They're not even really going to believe I'm a disciple. Don't worry about all that. I'm your boy. I got you. I got your back. We go together. Let's do this. Pack your bag. Let's go. Right? Imagine what Saul felt like. Like, amen. Somebody believes in me. That feels good, doesn't it? It feels good when somebody believes in you. You know, I believe that you would be great at this. And, and come on, let's go. You know, encouragement, one of the words in, in the scriptures that is translated encourage, it, it means to kind of call alongside. You, you kind of, you call somebody alongside yourself. And that's what kind of encouragement can be is you, you find somebody, you say, come on, man, let, come to my side and let's go together. And that's what makes relationships strong, I believe, in the church. We don't worry about all these other barriers and we're joined together in the mission, Right? They're in the mission. They're not just hanging out playing golf, right? That's not the point of this. This is, there's the church is important. You're a great teacher. We're in the mission together. Let's bond as we serve God and help people, right? That's what it's all about. I appreciate that. You know, we're, we're a healthy congregation here, and I think there's a lot of great things going on. But I'm going to tell you something. I think some of us can, can actually go other places and really serve, you know, some of you would be great in smaller situations. Some of you would be great to go move to Auburn, you know, help out with the Auburn Tuskegee Church. That would be amazing. Some of you would be perfect for it. I was just in Jackson, Mississippi this past weekend. Do you know what it's like to go to a church that has eight members? You don't know. Every Sunday, eight people, right? But they're our brothers and sisters, and they show up every week. And they sing their songs and they do their best. They've had two people baptized this year. They're fired up. They're fired up. They're excited. You know what I mean? They're excited. Here's the deal. Some of you might have the ability to work. You work from home or whatever. Your work situation is, is fluid. And you might be able to go for a season of your life. Three months, six months, a year. Who knows? But man, let me tell you something. What if you went? Maybe you could take someone with you. And you go and you just serve in Jackson or you serve Auburn, Tuskegee or, or wherever. Costa Rica, wherever. We can, hey, let's go. Let's do this. Africa. We've got relationships and churches all over. But what I'm saying is it's powerful when you're on mission and you're building relationships as well. But you change the world instead of living in our safe cocoons, right? I'm grateful for, for Saul to leave, leave, get all inconvenient, go find Saul, convince him to come, Saul, all of that. But look what happened. Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. What, this is powerful. What a relationship that Barnabas and Saul were creating with one another. And it helped so many people. Man, I hope that we can be inspired by their example. And, and if this was a movie, man, this is the part of the movie where, like, every, like the scene ends and they're, the, the best friends are laughing and it's like, ah, oh, you know, the moment of just joy happens. And then if you're a movie watcher, you, you start to get that feeling, mm, something's about to happen. <laughs> Somebody's going to die or something bad. You know, you, oh, they're setting us up for the big, you know, right? You, you, you see movies like that. Well, 
This is real life, isn't it? It's not always perfect in relationships. Remember what I said earlier, the highs and lows of relationship building in a rapidly growing church, right? Sometimes you have challenges. Paul and Barnabas, two spiritual guys, loved God. They had challenges. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, hey man, you know what? Let's go back and visit the believers. In all the towns we preach the word of the Lord, and let's go see how they're doing. Barnabas says, great idea. Love it. Great idea. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with him. Uh, but Paul did not think it wise to take him. Because, see, he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Okay, so there's a little previous backstory. Mark had been, they'd been together. For whatever reason, Mark didn't, didn't follow all the way through to the end. Something must have gone down. He left. He, now, the word here is deserted. Strong word. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas and Saul, bro, they're, 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 they're. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Well, so what, who's right? Because that's what we like. That's how we read the Bible. Right? Well, well, obviously one of these guys is wrong. Well, who's, the, who's right? <laughs> I mean, surely it's in there, right? Jeff, tell me who was right and who was wrong in this situation. <laughs> tell us, brother. Yes. Hurry up. I want to know. I think the simple answer is, well, I don't think the Bible sits around and, and spends a lot of time saying, and Barnabas was right or in the wrong. But there are some interesting aspects of this Interaction. Interesting aspect number one is Paul and Silas are commended, right, by the believers. It didn't necessarily say that Barnabas and Mark were commended. Oh, that, you can, who knows if that's saying anything or not, but it's in there. You can also, if you read Colossians 4, you learn that Barnabas and Mark were cousins. Okay, so... And they go home to where Barnabas is from. Now, you can, you can try to connect whatever dots you want to make. Was it that Barnabas was like, give the guy a break. Give him a second chance, Saul. I know you're a hardcore guy, but man, yeah, he might have messed up before. But man, he's worth another shot. He, he, give him another shot. Barnabas, man, I hear you. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve a shot, but this type of trip, man, I don't think, th I don't think this is going to help him get where he needs to go. This trip isn't the trip for him. I'm serious, man. I just don't think it's wise to take him on this trip. I'm not saying he's a bad guy, but I just don't think it's wise. Maybe that's how it went down. I don't know. But what we do know is after this moment, Barnabas, he doesn't, he doesn't show up in the book of Acts anymore. Again, it doesn't mean he's a bad guy. I'm just saying that's the last we hear. Of Barnabas. He takes his cousin and they go back to his hometown. But guess what they do? They stay on mission. Okay? You understand what I'm saying? What did Paul and Silas do? They stayed on mission. What do we not see? We do not see gossip. We do not see name calling. 
We do not see scores of the church, scores of members of the church citing the disagreement between two main leaders and leaving the church. That's not in there either. Okay? Because at some point we all have to have the maturity to understand that disagreements will happen. And it's not always a this person was right and this person was wrong. That's not always the case. Disagreements can happen if you stay on mission, which means you remember why you're here to reflect the image of God, to go make disciples of all nations, right? To love God, to love people. If you stay on that mission, you can handle the disagreements, the ups and downs that happen in life because they're inevitable. It's when you allow the disagreements to take you off mission. And then you become a professional describer of the problem. <laughs> and you take it upon yourself that your new mission is to explain why those people are messed up, why you can't trust the leaders, why they can't even get it together, how they expect us to get together. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why I'm not going to church. Let me tell you why I'm not giving no more money. Let me tell you why I'm not going to serve. If that becomes your new mission, then you have missed the point of Scripture. We are going to disagree. We can still be soul to soul, though, and just decide, you know what, for this season of time, man, maybe, hey, that's cool, man. Take Mark. It's good. Man, go love God and love people with Mark, bro. We, I'm going to take silence. We got this. Barnabas, I love you. Saul, I love you, too. I disagree. I disagree, but hey, we love each other, but let's keep praying for each other, right? Isn't that, more, isn't that what the kind of church you want to be a part of? Okay, well, then don't freak out when leaders disagree. Tom and I disagree all the time, but we love each other. Amen. We, we agree way more than we disagree, right? But so even when we disagree, it's okay. We love each other. So don't freak out. Stay on mission. Amen. All right. I'm, I'm closing out. Oh, man, it's hard to do. Like, I'm stealing the four minutes from the no baptism, by the way. That's an inside joke from the pre-meeting. Amen. All right. So. Acts chapter 20. So Paul, this is a uh, very, I think, you know, it's just moving, I think, in my opinion. Sometimes Paul is seen as type A, hardcore guy, you know. But here's the deal. Paul developed great relationships with people. Even though he, he seemed like he was kind of an abrasive guy of, of sorts, but he still, he was a heartsy guy. And I think one of the great moments that when you see his heart coming through and the effect that his heart had on other people was in Acts 20 uh, when he has to kind of say goodbye to the uh, elders in Ephesus. And I'll summarize some of it because before this, he had spent a couple years in Ephesus and he'd been teaching in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And I mean, he, there were riots that were going on. He was preaching so much. I mean, a lot happened. I mean, but he bonded, taught a lot of people. People became Christians. So he had a great stint in Ephesus. Sometime later, he's nearby, and he, he calls to the elders, and he wants to meet with them. And, uh, and so in Acts chapter 20, you know, they, they, they meet together, and, and he's talking to them, and it's kind of like a, you get the feeling like Paul knows th this, this is probably it, you know, that he's going to see these guys. Paul always, I think he kind of lived with the, th the thought that, I don't know how much longer I have. Um, but in, in Acts 20, in verse 18, you know, he told the elders, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you. But I've taught you publicly 
and from house to house. And I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. So keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. And I know, I know, guys, after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock, even from your own number. Men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. And now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And everything I did, I showed you that by the, this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And when he said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. And they all wept as they embraced him and continually kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. You know, what I appreciate about this passage is just the, the depth of relationship that Paul shared with the elders. And uh, honestly, I believe that's, what, uh, that's a strength of this particular congregation. Uh, I deeply respect the men that serve as elders of this church. Uh, they work full-time jobs, and they meet multiple times every week uh, to help build this church. They are having lunches with you. They're in your homes. You know it. I don't have to say it. You know it. They've prayed with you, for you, over you, over your kids, my kids, my life, my relationships. Uh, they are not perfect. Neither am I, neither are you. So why do we even need to say that, right? But at the end of the day, I appreciate the depth of relationship. And I, I, when I read that, I get it. Because when you stay on mission, when you, when you keep remembering that you're here for the Lord and not just for yourself, and when you can keep remembering that we're here to help people, when you, when you keep that in your mind, the relationships you build are deep and strong. And we've had some deep moments, the elders. We've had some hard situations to deal with in this family. Many of them you've, you know about. And they, they have been hard. But man, we have stayed connected to one another in relationship. And even through challenges, we still have love for each other and we speak highly of each other publicly. 
And I, and I believe that that to me is one of the reasons why I moved my family here from California because I could see and I could tell that this eldership was willing to bring a guy like me in and, li- and, and be willing to work as a team together. And I want you to feel secure that the evangelists at this church and the elders at this church, there is no rift. There is no, well, who's over whom and who's doing? There's none of that. We're going to stay on mission. We're going to keep loving people. And I, you know what I'm telling you? We're going to make some mistakes too. And we're going to need you to not freak out and just go leave the church because we met, messed up, right? You're going to have to figure out how to be a Barnabas and keep things together too, right? But I'm very grateful for these three new brothers that are going to be presented before you, as you've probably seen on the, on the bulletin. But we've got three other men that we're going to be placing before the congregation that's going to be serving, hopefully, as elders here at the congregation. And, uh, and, the, and the awesome thing is there are others among us as well, right in the wings to serve as well. So exciting. And I'm so encouraged to be able to experience something like that where there's a depth of relationship and there's love and connectivity. So I'm going to go ahead and close out in a word of prayer. I'm over my time. You got to forgive me. Love Jesus. Amen. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and, and, and say a prayer. Uh, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. So let's go to God in prayer. Father, I'm grateful to serve in this place, to have soul-to-soul relationships with great men here who serve as elders and uh, and Tom and the evangelists and all the deacons, all the family group leaders and everyone just serving and volunteering and laying down their lives. I just, I love what you have done here, Father. I believe it's your spirit. My faith is first and foremost in you and what you are doing. And I'm grateful that we can celebrate Jesus at this time. And I'm reminded of 1 Peter when Jesus is called the shepherd, capital S, capital O, overseer of our souls. And that uh, he is ultimately the one who died for us. And we get to take the Lord's Supper. And we we take the bread that represents his body. And we we drink from the cup that represents his blood. Father, we're we're grateful for his body and his blood that has given us new life into a living hope. And Father, I pray that we can be reminded of guys like Barnabas and Paul. Pray we can imitate their actions and their mindset as well. And I hope that we ultimately see that Jesus really embodied it all. And we love him and we pray in his name. Amen.